You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. My name is Tyler Austin. I'm a bookseller and this week's host. We are here this week with Emerson Whitney and Claire Boyle. We'll be discussing Emerson's latest work, Heaven. Emerson Whitney is the author of the poetry title Ghost Box and Heaven and the forthcoming Daddy Boy. Emerson teaches in the BFA program, a creative writing program at Goddard College, and is the Dana and David Dornsife teaching postdoctoral fellow at the University of Southern California. Fight on. Uh, Claire Boyle is senior editor at McSweeney's, working on everything from books to the award-winning McSweeney's quarterly concern. Emerson, if you'd like to start us off with a reading. Happy to do it. Thank you so much for having me. So yeah, this is just a, a section from heaven that I sort of, um, I bibliomancied into this moment. I did not um, think too much about it. I'm just going to open to uh, a page. So I used to watch mom on TV, would pull the videos out of the back of the cupboard while I was homesick as a teenager. They were in green VHS sleeves in the way back. I don't know where they are now and it doesn't matter because nobody has a VCR. A blonde man and woman sat forward in heavy floral chairs. They chatted, glanced at the camera from the foreground of a pastel painting of Sacramento, the woman's shoulder pads blotting out the American River. The woman turned to face the camera. She said, Marie. A craft scene backdrop slapped onto a screen, a blue wall. The camera panned to mom behind a brown table filled with scraps of things, paper. She was perfect and 80s, had giant red glasses. She blinked at the camera, held up a cutout of my image that she'd made into a lampshade. I was adorable as a lampshade, was four or something years old. In the photo mom was holding, I wore overalls and a pink baseball cap. My hands were in my pockets. I looked a little pissed. She was saying something about my dad, said dad flatly, and I was surprised to hear it. She showed the audience how to make a calendar for kids to understand visitations when their parents were divorced. She moved the cutout of me to Monday, Wednesday. I never saw dad like she was talking about. We didn't have a schedule and we didn't live close. She talked about me and explained decoupage. Her hair was clipped behind her head, glasses leaning off her nose. Beautiful. She made perfect sense. When the show was live, I'd watch from a car seat in the living room. I was four the shadow of a palm tree moving across the floor. I rocked in the car seat with my arms crossed. There was nothing in the room, just foam green carpet and a bucket of paint at the entry to the kitchen, white paint that smelled empty. I don't know why there was only a car seat. All those times that mom's face was center on TV, I waited for her wave. I'd watch her voice, her body projecting, moving onto its toes. She'd hold her elbow up and smile at the studio audience. I'd wave back. Music would come on, synthy music about Sacramento. The crush of light in the living room would make the screen too white. Her face and her waving would careen off into an advertisement. I'd leave the echo of her voice in the room like paint. I'd push myself out of the car seat, pad into the kitchen, tip a chair on its back two legs and drag it toward the refrigerator. I always use the same chair, the one with the loose cushion, tan and wrinkled. I'd hoist myself onto the seat, always an inch or two too short to be eye level with the top, would open the fridge and lodge my foot between the interior racks and use that fulcrum to pull my pacifier off the fridge, the blue one, the one with the elephant on the tip. 
they stuck it up there so I'd stop sucking on it. I'd stand on the chair totally triumphant, shove it into my mouth with both hands, smile behind it. When I was an infant, I'd put my mouth around my mom's actual nipple and my face would fill with snot. A red pimply ring would grow where my mouth was. I gave mom mastitis, was allergic to her milk. I was allergic to formula too, to everything. I coughed. My younger brothers drank her up. When she'd come into the house, they'd feel her breasts arriving. They'd shriek and run toward her legs. I'd hang back. Her smile would rush at me anyway. Light would shift in the house. Mom's voice flickered against the clicking on of lamps. Here's the etymology. Mammary is a word that's likely derived from a natural sounded baby talk, perhaps imitative of the sound made while sucking. Ma, the ache of wanting is enormous. I drank off the plug like a drunk. I drank off the plug like a drunk. I am not ashamed. Mama is from 1707. Mum is from 1823. Mummy in the sense is from 1839. Mommy, 1844. Mama, 1852. And mom, 1867. And mastectomy or the surgical removal of a breast is from 1909 from Greeks, mastos, like masticate, burn. It's like the splitting of rocks or gems from cleavage to cut along a fissure line. I'm thinking about giving an account of myself. The stories do not capture the body to which they refer. Even the history of this body is not fully narratable, Judith Butler writes. Any effort to give an account of oneself will have to fail in order to approach being true. I'll stop right there. The paint uh, smelled empty is just, I was reviewing the book again today and now it's just like, mwah. (laughs) (laughs) What I just did. Uh, thank you for that gesture for loving those lines. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to chat about this book. So we've been um, pretty deep in Daddy Boy, the forthcoming book uh, coming out in 2023. Um, yeah. So it's really fun to kind of take a moment and dip back into heaven, which is uh, coming out very soon in paperback. Um, so I want to just for fun, read a quick um selection of some of my favorite praise that heaven got um the paris review says uh that emerson guides with an intuitive vulnerability and honesty paper calls it quote a gripping memoir whose sentences are akin to a skipped heartbeat and the seattle times says utterly hypnotic a gorgeous book that feels like a painting um, and I loved particularly those last two for the way that they use language almost like you do, like in this really kind of poetic um, uh, visual way. Um, so you start the book um, with a memory that you actually weren't present for, kind of like a borrowed memory or constructed memory, which is so interesting to me. Um, you write, quote, I heard pieces of this story and invented the rest. Um, and we even get from that excerpt that you just read how important um, memory is in this book and how much you play with that. So I'm, I'm curious how you thought about memory recalling the past uh, and the leeway that you had to kind of imagine into that in the process of writing this one. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, this is it just, you know, as an aside, it's so fun to chat with you about, you know, all of these processes as somebody who I feel like, yeah, I mean, they wouldn't be this way without you. So I'm really 
always so excited to hang out and to talk. So um, y'all can't see me smiling, but I'm smiling <laughs> to do this. Um, well, for sure, um, I think a lot about memory and and misremembering and the, the the quote that I just read, like the concept that Judith Butler, at least in this instance, is giving us of of like you know how do we give an account of oneself. Um, and I don't think, at least for me, that my memory is, um, I guess, separate from all the other aspects of myself that are mutable. I do feel like I, I fail at remembering probably quite a bit. And some of the pieces of my memory, I'm sure, are constructed from conversations and images I've seen. And really, my memory, I'm, I'm, the way I see it is as a constellation of of aspects. So when trying to reconstruct memories, I am doing that kind of collaging. And because I'm also so dedicated to like, you know, the, the quote that you, that you read, um, I forget, I think it was paper magazine saying it was like a painting, like, you know, for me, really, that is part of it. I, I do feel like I'm making, I'm making art with the, with the memories. And I, I mean, I love it. I love doing that, but yeah, accuracy. I'm, I'm trying to be accurate to the me of that moment. And that's the best I think I can do. I don't know that. I mean, I'm, I applaud anybody who's the kind of person that does a more diligent job of, of maybe, um, even going back into their own journals or, 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 or aspects of ephemera that might give them more of an, of, of a truth. But I, I, you know, I'm a former journalist and a poet and those things combined have really made me um, question objectivity at, at, at my core. I don't know if that's a thing that we can, we can, we can really mm, believe in or, I don't personally feel like I can hang out with, with the idea that I have any objective truth to my memory. So playing with this is, is really a central part of my work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, speaking about ephemera, I was thinking today about how, uh, how recurring the, uh, the, the family photograph is mm -hmm. in your work. You are, um, regularly alluding to particular photos um, as as a way to as like a jumping off point to analyze family dynamics. Um, so I'm curious, were you looking a lot of photos when you were writing this? Like, how how do you see photos as part of that collage that you were talking about? Mm, it's so funny because it's really true. Like, I feel like I always want to write about photos. I love writing about static images. Maybe there's like an ekphrastic um, part of me in that. Like, I almost, I would love, I love doing the ekphrasis type of thing with, um, yeah, like family photos. I, I would, I feel really drawn to that style of making, mm -hmm. making something. And yet, I'm also not looking at them. Like I'm almost positive. I cannot recall any instance where I like physically held it or physically looked at it and wrote. Wow, really? So they're really memories of the photographs. Yes, hundred memories of the moment. Huh. Exactly. Because so I'm not even like the ones that I'm thinking of. The ones that we I wrote about just recently for Daddy Boy. Like I did not. I'm not there. I haven't been there in years. Mm -hmm. But I wrote about the pictures because they're always in the same place. Yeah. I don't know if others have, you know, if, if, if our 
if our listeners are, are sharing that experience, but you know, they're always in the same spot. Like if, <laughs> if even when my family has moved, it kind of goes back in the kitchen or whatever, you know, so I can like picture them there. And it's always like the same six photos really. <laughs> so I can, I can see that I draw them up, I guess, in my own mind. And, <laughs> and it does, um, it does, it does like, uh, fully, fully interest me, like where, where the photos are, like, you know, who's walking by them every day, what's hap- what's happening <laughs> in relationship to those photos. But, but I, 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 it's funny that you ask, cause I really never, I don't think I've, I don't think I've actually looked at any of those I've written about in a long time. That's so interesting, especially cause they're so vivid. Uh, I love knowing that that's like a whole nother layer to the whole conversation about memory. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of a long these lines, um, you ch- are ch- you change the names of the main figures in the book, um, and I'm curious about that choice uh, and how it changes the way you write about these uh, intimate relationships, these familial relationships. I I also love this question because it's so real. Like I'm hoping I I'm sure there are other people's that are navigating this, but like I am, you know. I'm writing about the same characters in Daddy Boy, characters that are, you're right, intimate relationships in my life. Um, and now sometimes I, I like do this translation in my head, like I'll say their name that is the name that they go by in, in life. And then I'll like have to, like I'll be thinking of their character name and, and, and doing like a subtle yeah. translation. Yeah. I think I heard a couple of their real names for the first time in our call yesterday. And it was such a funny feeling. Like I've known this person by you know hang yeah, yeah hang, exactly <laughs> so like two books worth and like you know it's just so funny but um, I'm committed I asked them at their at their inception of heaven I asked them what they would like their names to be and I kind of processed this with everyone I was sort of like you know I'm gonna do this and I imagine it's not just this book like I I knew at the time that I was probably gonna do a series of books that had these same folks in it and um I just kind of wanted to give them the option to pick their names and they all picked these names. Um, my mom didn't want to choose her. She did. I, my mom wished her name was Katie. She wanted to be Katie, Katie Q. That was not her name at all. That's not her name in the book. Um, I kind of just wanted to give her that as a private name for herself. Um, but like, otherwise they chose theirs, which I think is hilarious. Like I love what they chose. I think it's so funny. Um, yeah, I tried to give them the chance and, and I really like what they chose. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Oh, I, right. had, I also had no idea about that. I'm learning so much. This is so yeah. <laughs> It is. Yeah, they just name themselves. That's such a great, um, a great concept. Uh, um, so shifting gears a little bit, you engage uh, other thinkers and writers so beautifully throughout your work um I, I picture your words kind of like nuzzled up against these thinkers Judith Butler Don Haraway uh C. Raleigh Snorton so on um and even beyond that you do you often do this thing where you quote someone quoting someone else which is this <laughs> fascinating kind of like nesting doll that just immediately plunges us into kind of like an ongoing conversation just tracks the way that these ideas are passed around and, and like really underlines that, that fact. Um, so I'm curious, what, it, what does it mean to you to be in company, quote unquote, with others in this way? 
I mean, I just feel so lucky to be alive with thinkers that are playing with what um, what theory making is. I love the definition of theory as the thinking of being. And I was only uh, raised with canonical whiteness as the as the access point to the thinking of being, which is like, you know, very limited and messed up. Like that's not that that's certainly not the world that I want to live in that. Um, that that's what theory is and that's who it comes from. It's just like really, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really special experience, I think, to be in company in general, like to kind of be neighboring with anyone um, and then to be neighbors with folks that are making up the thinking of being, uh, that are making theory, that are world building um, from places of, marginalization I just that is exactly the world I want to inhabit so I'm so excited always to be thinking with other thinkers um I don't really know how else to do it I think that collage element that I was talking about or you know the the aspect of of my selfhood as being kind of a, a collaborative effort I think is also really a big part of what I'm always trying to write about is is that you know this really is a collaboration like myself is a collaboration and and I'm just I'm made up of these thinkers so that feels awesome um and it also you know is complex like it's also kind of hard to mm -hmm. to to be a collage I think um <laughs> uh, or to be a collaboration but yeah I kind of I'm hoping to always sort of swing like like on the monkey bars between between these these books and these uh, thoughts. Mm. Um, that makes me think of, um, so something that I, that I really admire and have loved watching or witnessing in the editorial process with you is how unprecious you are uh, about any particular section or sentence in your work. You change and shift and cut with such ease it's like nothing is clung to it's all it's always alive um and I think this is really a, a big part of what lends to such openness and authenticity in your texts um do you see your process this way I mean it makes me think of like I don't know the way you even said like swings from the monkey bars like just kind of always like swinging and thinking and moving um yeah yeah I mean, I'm so happy. Like, I I love this question so much because, um, you know, you would you would be the person that would know um, because yeah, we're we're doing this together. Uh, we're collaborating in that way. Like, that's how I see it as a collaboration. And so I love that you see it that way. That's exactly how it feels for me. It super resonates to hear this description. I am not precious. You're right about. I, I, I want to say like about anything in relationship to this kind of aspect. Like I love being edited. First of all, like I love, I love the shared experience of animating these words. Like it's so cool. It's so cool to like, see how it impacts you and other people to, to share this, this, I guess, um, almost performance of these ideas that live in writing, like so fun. And yeah, you're right. I, I guess part of the, the way that it doesn't feel hard to make shifts is, is because I, I, I want so much to be in relationship with like the unexpected, the accident, the error. I want all of those 
to be in the book too. I, I really do get excited when you have a suggestion <laughs> and I've always felt that way. Like, I do think part of it, I, I want to give a shout out to my young journalist self who really just like, I just, I really trusted the process. I still do. Like, I guess I just feel so freely about words. Like they're always moving anyway. Mm-hmm. So why would I get, why would I feel so attached to the way that I've put them down? Like, yeah, I just don't. There are certain, there are certain moments where I'm like, oh, I love that. Oh, I love what that did. I love the sound of that. Mm-hmm. But, but sometimes like with anything, you, if you, you add a little, if you add a little thing, you add a comma or you move a line, like I love that one too. I just find myself really liking to be on this ride. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel uh, I feel like you'll you'll see this soon. But in a, in a lot of the notes for Daddy Boy, it's just me being like, "No, that line, I love that line." Like I'm the I'm like pre- I'm more precious. That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, well, don't kill your darlings. <laughs> well, I'm glad you I'm glad you do it because it's true. If you give me if you I was saying this to you I think yesterday. Like if I look at it too many times, I I whittle the things down to nothing. If I'm if I'm hanging out with it too, too long. So, but I, I think, I think even that aspect, like I was told by um, one of the faculty members in my MFA program, Mady Schutzman, she was like, you know, what is my favorite thing about you? And I was like, what? And she was like, when we have a note for you, you just like literally come bounding into my office, like excited to know what it is that, <laughs> that like I have a critique of. And I am not like that in any other area of my life. Like if somebody's like the way that you like, you know, poured me that water was like this, I will get incensed. Like there's something I feel so, it's so bizarre to me that like I can take criticism. Like when I used to work at coffee shops, like the biggest critique I ever got from my bosses was like, you cannot take criticism. Cause I would be like, no, this is how I put the cups. And in this world, I don't feel that way at all. So I think I'm in the right place. <laughs> so interesting. Do you have a f- sense of why that is? Or you're just like, that's not to question it. Just, it's no, I think, <laughs> I mean, I think I, there is a part of me that doesn't want to question it. And <laughs> I think it's cause I'm not, I'm there's I have nothing to defend in this in in the world of of sharing this experience with with you or with someone else um I have nothing to defend I just I do really feel so freely enjoy in a full enjoyment of this process so yeah um, I think that's why I think that really reflects reflects in your final texts um So in this book, you write, quote, this text, speaking of this text, this text's first draft was bombastic. There was sex and violence. And I wrote it like that because I always told it like that. I liked the shock. The way it works now, though, is slow. I'm working with identity like cream, unquote. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I think by the time I saw the, the text, it was in, it was slow already or the way it is closer to the way it is now. Um, Mm. So I'm curious what led to this shift? What what were you thinking about what that kind of process was like? Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I mean, definitely I 
I think I think a lot about what it means to write memoir or autobiography. I'm never really sure which word I prefer for <laughs> for my work. I always use autobiography, but I'm I'm noticing maybe I don't share a definition with other people about about it. Um, but for me, what it means is that you know I get to kind of use the use the subjective eye um, and and kaleidoscope these different subjects, but with the basis of that subjective eye, which really works for me. Um, and I feel like in that way, when I first start making something, I'm often, I'm often like angry or I'm like having a lot of feelings. Sometimes what motivates me most is, is feelings that I'm processing. And what I have done also in the past is like, imagine a reader that like, I feel like really needs to hear this. <laughs> um, and like, what that makes for is kind of a soupy draft. And I think it's a necessary draft. Mm -hmm. But at the earliest versions of this book, I was like, really wanting to tell people this story about loving my mom, who's a really complicated figure in general. Um, and I felt really misunderstood. So like, I've heard it said that that's like writing from the wound and not the scar. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with writing from a gooey wound, but mm -hmm. it didn't really, um, what I notice is what's, what's, what's interesting to me also about autobiography, autobiography and memoir is that people can see those aspects of you that you are, that you can't see. I can, I should use the eye for myself. People could see in me things I needed to rethink or work on in response to reading those drafts. I think, I think one of the things that I noticed was that I was just, I hadn't made, I wasn't able to communicate the complexity of that relationship in a way I really wanted to when I was so mad and that's totally fine, you know? But what I, what I was really happy to do was to take the time to like put it in the oven, let it cook, let it, let the nuances of that story kind of come out like flavors in a pie. <laughs> and then it was more, it was more of what I wanted when it was in that state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly, yeah, those early drafts was, was a bit, I was, you know, it was a little that like, I, that like teenage version of me that really was like, felt super denied um, this particular story really, really wanted that out there. And then, yeah, over time it became the scar and I was able to write at it from those different perspectives. And I think make it a little bit more nuanced in a way that really does do the thing I wanted to do and to honor that part of myself. I think that, that did, that did happen. Yeah. Something else this quote is doing that I love and that I think you're, you do even more in daddy boy is talk about the process of writing the thing in the thing itself and kind of like talk about earlier drafts and talk about decisions. Like I almost didn't include this scene, but I am doing it now for these reasons, reader. Um, kind of, I, I guess, breaking the fourth wall, is whatever, <laughs> the cheesiest way to describe, but um, you're really what you're letting us in. Um, and I'm curious your feeling, your thoughts on that. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I I want to hang out with everyone. Like <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about everyone that's picking this up the whole time that I'm working. And not in the way that it, I think um I guess there have been other ways I've thought about 
like audience, you know, and we're, when we're working on writing audience is a word that comes up a lot, voice is a word that comes up a lot. Um, but, but I've kind of had this same quote unquote audience for as long as I can remember, I've been writing to a, like a you out there. I've been in, you know, I have just like, as many of us do, I have a billion journals from, from over the course of my life. And I would start them all dear you when I was a little kid. And so I don't know if in those, in those journals, I'm writing to writing itself. Sometimes I think I am. Sometimes I think I'm writing to my friend that is writing. Sometimes I think I was imagining like, you know, a reader. Um, but in these, in these books and, and you're right in daddy boy, I'm really thinking, I'm really thinking of the beloved, which is the reader. You know, it really is a wonderful, it's like, such, it's like the coolest relationship I can imagine like I don't know y'all and you're you're out there knowing me and in some ways we're knowing each other because we share some something we share many things probably and which is which is why I think autobiography is so cool because it's a portal mm. you know people mm. ask me a lot like why does my what most most I would say 90% of the people that I work with as students or or people that ask me for support the first thing we're having to get over is like that the story itself is valid, that, that writing about oneself is valid. Mm-hmm. But I, think, I literally think about every single day that I just want more people's, I want more to read. Like I really do. Like I desperately want more to read. And so I, I, ex, I super, super extremely want more people to be writing their story. I don't like to read other things. I really like nonfiction and I really love autobiography so I'm just like waiting for y'all stories and how fun it is to share this experience like I'm I'm thinking of the honor that it is to be read whenever I'm writing it's it's just like a a tremendous tremendous honor this might be hard to uh pull off the whim but are there were there any particular um reader uh like notes or comments or uh like portal opening moments that are particularly notable or surprising or interesting I feel like I I definitely have received emails from folks that like got a direct hit you know what I mean like that like you could tell that the book just was for them uh like a key and a lock of their own experience Mm. and that is like an amazing thing to 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 have happen like i I'm so glad to have functioned in some way in someone's life in a, in maybe some kind of spiritual sense for them. It was really important to see someone else in the world or to experience something in my work that really, really resonated with them. But also I'm so pumped for the people that are just like, wow, I had such a beautiful day, like reading this book, like at the beach, or like I had a great day reading this book, like while I was sitting at my job, like, you know, I just, yeah, I think I, I, I feel so ridiculous sometimes when I'm talking about this stuff because I feel super cheesy, but I really desperately, I, I just, I can't even, I can't even articulate how grateful I am. I think that is every, every answer I have to every question you ask is I'm just so grateful. Like how cool to be doing this work and to be doing it with you and to be doing it like in this particular moment in time where I'm allowed to be so clearly writing about myself from my subject position and it's acceptable and okay to some extent. And it's also um, embraced. Like I'm, I'm like truly awestruck still. Mm -hmm. So yeah, whenever anybody reaches out to me, I'm just like blown away. 
And the, the reception of heaven was beyond my wildest dreams in a way. Like I was told many times that it was too experimental and that it wouldn't like work in the world. Mm-hmm. And that just couldn't have felt less true. I feel like people really were down for the play that I like to do with language as well as the, the thematics that, mm-hmm. I, that are in here. Like, and I'm just so excited to see what happens with daddy boy too in that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fun to watch it, it move in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, kind of, kind of connected to that. Um, you do this great thing in, uh, the text where you'll be digging really thoughtfully into, um, some theoretical conversation, like, uh, when you reference the idea, the linguist Roman Jacobson's idea, um, and others that this word mama comes from the sound that is made while nursing that like suctioning sound, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you get like, you get really deep in this idea and you're giving it so much generous curiosity and consideration. And then you just say, it's also possible the guy made it up. Like you're just kind of like toss it all out. Uh, and then you do it again in this amazing moment. Um, later on where you're cutting your bangs off and talking about Freud and ear Gary uh, and like the masculine woman and causality and, and uh, digging into that. And then, and then you just like hit us with this line. That's honestly, I just wanted the bangs gone. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just like, I wanted to cut the bangs off and it has this incredible effect of letting the air out of the theory stuff a little bit, like not holding it too tightly or too preciously. And I'm really curious how you see these jukes that you make throughout the text. Um, Are you thinking about the limits of theory? Are you thinking like, what do those mean to you? Well, you're onto it for sure. That is um, something I'm, I'm always trying to play with, like as someone who did not receive formal training in terms of philosophy, for sure. But pretty much any of my education was was a bit experimental, if not outright, um, you know, a, a, a sort of sidelined from the, the norm. I was in special ed from sixth grade on um, and I feel like when I I went to seven different undergrad schools, <laughs> I finally landed at Goddard, which is like a life hack school in a way. Like they were able to crunch all my credits. It's where I teach now. So full disclosure, like, you know, I, I, I'm just, I love that place because there was just like no other way I could possibly have gotten an undergrad degree, which, you know, I really needed to be doing a lot of what I'm doing right now. Um, but like, I think I'm always trying to say, like, I'm trying to basically like, I'm low, I'm like, LOL. Like, I'm like, you know, sure. We can put a lot of stake in all of these things, but like, we don't really know. Like, mm-hmm. what do we know? I don't know. And I think that for me has always been really important because I felt like I was missing so much information. Like there were so many times when I really like, you know, I heard other people talking about theory. I, 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 you know, I, I, I've heard especially colleagues sharing their version of an understanding that comes from a lineage of philosophy that I just really didn't know. Um, And I always felt like I just was super missing something. And once I actually, you know, I, I did pursue a PhD in philosophy because I, I was like, wow, I'm, there must be a hole in my understanding somewhere. And once I got there, I realized like literally 
no, like I wasn't missing anything. It's just that feeling of have of lacking of lacking something in my knowledge base and also in my own way of learning has always been there. Mm-hmm. But I think in my work, I'm playing, I'm toggling between those paradigms always. I'm trying to say like, this is what, this is what they say, but there's, there's probably some kind of also gap (laughs) and it'll always fail. Like what we know right now will always fail. Like we don't know. I'm, I'm so obsessed at this moment. And I'm like, you know, as you know, we're deep in daddy boy. And I'm, I'm just like also so pumped to work on this next thing that I'm really into but um along those lines of of special ed and and whatnot i'm super invested right now in demystifying like the iq test mm-hmm. i hear it all the time i was just listening to some podcasts like this morning that was like grounding their their reasoning in an iq test and i'm just like do y'all know where that comes from like research well, you, what's the do you have like a quick snippet like, about that I actually don't know much about it sound bite that I mean and, and I, I want to do more research before I'm sure. I'm super um like before saying I ask you to talk about it on a podcast well, well <laughs> pronouns might be wrong because I am not uh I am a neuro spicy human being who is <laughs> engaging with proper nouns loosely as well as like all sorts of other things but um but like the Weschler intelligence scale for children which is a test that I had to take um when a teachers were thinking there was like something quote unquote wrong with me, um, which yeah, I'm, I'm just, dis- I'm a disabled person. Like I have learning differences. I have learning disabilities for sure. There was something quote unquote, like wrong to them. At least what was wrong for me was, was engaging with traditional ways of learning. Um, but that test is derived from the IQ test, which comes from, as far as I know, um, a lineage of testing that is very direct for um, a, a xenophobic, uh, test maker in France, I believe Goddard, Goddard is that person's name, um, that was used then at Ellis Island for the same purposes mm-hmm. to be this, yeah, it, it, it's, it's in order to keep out folks, essentially. And there's really, we're not really testing anything when we're, t- like, it's so weird. Like, if anybody ever had to take that kind of test, like I say in heaven, I literally, like, put together puzzles of apples. Like, it was, like, what is that measuring? Like, and, and it's measuring who's allowed to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, I have it somewhere. The, the book that I'm reading about it is basically, like, they were tailor-made to be, you know, like, they, the, those tests were made to be real, oh, it's right, it's literally right in front of me. I am reading a smart history of a failed idea by Stephen Murdoch. Mm. I'm showing Claire right now. Mm. Um, but it says, oh, I can I can just say IQ scores have the power to determine the chances we have in life, the people we meet, the schools we attend, the jobs we get, etc. Um, it's saying uh Murdoch explores. I'm assuming I'm saying this name right. I do not know. Murdoch explores how and why IQ tests were created, how they've been widely used and misused over the past century. And yeah, I have so many fun highlights, but yeah, it's, yeah, the immigrants in particular noted the abrupt, it it was basically about um, xenophobia. So fun. No longer was poor performance in class the only reason why children were placed in special education classes. Now they could be moved there if they scored poorly on one intelligence test. So, so yeah, it's good to know. And yeah, this is, I guess what I mean. It's always like, I, I guess I just love pulling up con like pulling apart concepts that seem to be bedrock, especially ones that have ramifications in our everyday. Um, so, so yeah. 
Yeah, I I think all of this that you're talking about, about um, the kind of socially that experience of um, kind of entering into the uh, academic philosophy community and being like, oh, I'm not missing anything. I'm, I am there, I can get this. Um, makes me think of uh, just like the way that you approach theory in this book and make it so conversational, make it just really bring it to life and make it crisp and clear and vivid in a way that I think uh, some large portion of theoretical writing can tend to uh, move towards muddling, distancing. Um, and I'm in art school, so I'm getting like <laughs> a hearty dose of, of uh, some like pretty heady, thick theoretical text. Uh, and I don't know, I think that's something I just really appreciate in your work that you're moving towards um, like there's this really egoless, uh, and beautiful orientation towards theory. That's like, Hey, you guys, this is not that complicated. Like this is about the life we're all living and this like really concrete stuff in front of us. Um, and you're, you're reconnecting in many ways theory to that lived, um, to the like embodied, which I think is so beautiful. Um, yeah, it's definitely help to do that for sure. My for sure. Um, soapbox <laughs> against theoretical scholarly language at times. Um, very much. So I figure since we've been kind of talking about it all uh, conversation, maybe do you want to tease a little bit of what Daddy Boy is will hold for readers and how you see it kind of like connecting with heaven? Yeah, I would love that. Um, I feel like... Daddy Boy is is a really, I mean, it's it's a really fun project to me in so many ways. And I think as we are going through these these kind of final edits, I'm really realizing what its form is. Um, it is certainly in conversation with this book that Heaven was so much about my relationship with my maternal line and what patriarchy, you know, the shape that my mom and my grandma and myself have taken in response to, you know, cis white heteropatriarchy, but particularly the patriarchal um lens on on our lives and and yeah how we moved in relationship to that um and daddy boy is really my reckoning with what it means to also be showing up in the world as as mask to some extent um and i also am deeply curious about what it means to grow up um in these ways and i think you and i have spoken quite a bit about uh, I think my, the, the, the core question of daddy boy for me really has become like, if I never had a childhood, which I really, if I never got to be a child, which I really didn't, you know, I, I really, there was no, there was not a lot of kid likeness. And there I quote that, I guess Gertrude Stein said, said at one point, like the, the definition of, or the difference between being a child and being in a, an adult is that a child gets to be surprised. And I, I was not that kid. I was not, I was real focused. I was like, you know, I was like really paying attention to all of the the adults in my life and their needs. Like I was that, I was that person. Um, and so I've been wondering as I'm quote unquote aging, I guess, um, what it means to, to, to be an adult if I was never a child mm -hmm. and how to differentiate that. I also got divorced in 
what year was that? I don't know. Uh, a bit ago, I got divorced. And so um, in that I was in, I was in a relationship with a, a woman I called daddy for, for 10 years. So I was really reckoning with, with what it meant to be like, uh, to, to b- belong to someone and to also uh, to get to be a kid. But then when we got divorced, I was like, uh Oh, like now what, like, what, what do I do? And so you know, I went storm chasing as, as a response and naturally. yeah, naturally, exactly. <laughs> and sort of sought out this like very, very subtle inquiry. It was much quieter, this, this thread into, into, I guess the, the dad side of my life. It felt, it felt kind of more, it did feel almost more like a painting, like all, my craving for this book. I literally wanted to describe wildflowers like so bad. I just desperately wanted to write about what these like brushed, brushed scenes in my, in my life looked like. And, and it became this trip um, to, to go uh, tornado chasing on a tornado chasing tour, which is a very strange thing that exists. So, um, so yeah, I'm really excited for people to, to join me on that ride. Yay. <laughs> cool. Um, well, thank you so much for chatting today. This was so incredibly fun. <laughs> Same. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's the best. And thank you, Skylight, for giving us a, a venue to chat. <laughs> yeah. We're always happy to do it. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be sure to have you both back for, for Daddy Boy. Woo-hoo. we'd love to i mean we got a little sneak pre- preview so we'll have to we'll have to for the full conversation for sure so thank you so much for both being here it was such a lovely chat and uh just thanks again to our listeners and and make sure to pick up emerson's book at skylight books or at 1818 vermont avenue and uh, that's the place to find it thanks so much yay thank you Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.